The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from inside of a block of ice, it's Doctor Who, Pachak. at 700 meters. It seems we owe you our lives. The Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who, Pachak, episode 291. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this thrilling episode of Doctor Who, Pachak, is uh, across the great pond that we call the Atlantic Ocean, is Mr. Dave A.C. Cooper. Hello, Dave. Permission to come aboard, sir. <laughs> Uh, permission granted, or I should say aye, aye. No, well, actually, um, <laughs> I feel like I need one of those little whistles, you know, that, that they welcome aboard people on ships. So um, so good to have you, um, Dave, back here. Um, Happy New Year to you. Fine, thank you very much. And to yourself, I hope it's going to be a very, very good year indeed for you after your, all your ordeals of the past I was going to say 12 months, but it's probably nearer to 15 months now. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, the end of October was was 12 months, so it's yeah, 12 and change now. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to... Um, I, well, I, I've 
going to get more into that in a second. But first, before further ado, let me uh, welcome, also joining us on this thrilling episode, is Mr. Taras Natishan. Hello, Taras. Hello. I am not rigged for silent running this week. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as long as you're not silent on the show, because then um, it, it's kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of defeats our audio podcast. <laughs> we're, we're, doing, we're doing the show silent, but we have subtitles, so you can um, just kind of read along. Now, and I should make a mention that Taras is uh, here on, on the east coast of uh, the U.S., uh, not too far from me, a stone's throw, if you have a very strong arm. So, uh, glad to have you back, and Happy New Year to you as well. Well, Happy New Year to you, too. Well, thank you. And it's great to be back. Well, uh, I I, I hope, I I was going to say something about your back, but maybe I shouldn't. (laughs) I'm glad you're back. (laughs) I'll just leave it like that. I'm glad to be back as well. Okay. So, uh... Last, I, I should apologize maybe to our listeners. We didn't do a show last week. Uh, I was having, we, we were, I, I'm telling you, that just when you think you're sort of done with, with the majority of the recovery of Sandy, and I'm, I'm still unpacking and all that, but we had electrical problems and we've had problems. We had massive electrical, we had a lot of issues that, that presented themselves during the restoration and the reconstruction and all that, that had to be addressed before we can go any further. So it's probably without exaggeration that maybe more than 50% of the electrical work um, in the house now has is all new. So it made it even more frustrating that even after all that was done, that we were still having electrical issues. And um, and I may had make made a mention it now show last on a last show on a live show, but it might have been before we started recording. I don't recall, but anyway, so that was part of the reason why um, I needed to get that addressed because um, it's obviously it's kind of hard to do a a, a podcast with um, when when you get, don't have reliable electricity. So, uh, but uh, it was a problem on the electrical line after two electricians and several hundred dollars trying to get the problem resolved, uh, it turned out that it's, it's actually uh, the electric company that had to do it. And then it took them a week because we had a blizzard here and then there was New Year's and everything. And um, anyway, long story short was that uh, we, it was originally promised four hours, then it, then it was in 24 hours, then it turned out to be a, a week before they actually came and um, took care of the problem. But um, I'm hoping that it's all done now and so far um, things have been operating normally. So all is well again here. Fingers crossed. Yeah, Indeed. yeah. It's just, um, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's very frustrating. It's just, you know, just because you're, you, you're concentrating on moving forward, getting everything, getting all this behind you, and then something like this comes, you know, it's out of your control, and, you, and you're relying on other, you know, services to come and, and do their job. And another issue is um, the uh, here, um, if, for those that don't know, I, I'm situated on Long Island, uh, the power company has changed. It was Liper. Now it's PSEG or something like that. They, they changed companies, and this transition was taking place around the new year as well. So, um, so that just added to um, probably the delay and everything. All right. Well, at least one thing, Lewis. When we start talking about the the main topic of today's show, you were obviously in the right mindset. You know, in a basement <laughs> with electricity and water all mixing together. <laughs> All you needed was somebody like Clara to help you out. You'd well, it's, it's it's true. You know, at, at one point, you know, we're running on battery power only. <laughs> you need to put on the red lights. Yes, yes. 
Uh, actually, I went through a, a, a UPS system on my computer, an uninterrupted power supply system. Uh, uh, it was only about a year old because I had to replace it after Sandy. And the wear, the wear and tear on it must have wore out the battery. And so I got a new one. And um, it, this is a little bit more um, – it's, it's more advanced. It has like an LCD panel. So it kind of tells you the events. Anytime there's an electrical event, and within like two weeks of having it, it registered, it counted 255 events. It could have been more because someone brought it to my attention that the, um, there's like um, that could have been the uh, the cap. You know, might have storage it, capacity. Yeah, uh, it might have done. It might have registered 255 and then stopped counting after that. So I'm not sure, but there was at least 255 electrical events within a two week period. And now since um, we had that fix. There's only there's been two. We had one which was a um, the, it was, had no fault of my own. With the, the power went out. It's funny. I hit a light switch and the power went out for a second. It's it's a very weird feeling. Uh, but it was it wasn't a house. It wasn't low. It now wasn't, you know what that switch. Does. Yes, now I know what that switch does. <laughs> But it wasn't localized. Oh, it's the big red button. It wasn't localized the to the house. It, it was. It was. It's. It, I. I looked outside and I could tell it was the surrounding neighborhoods because the streetlights, when they go out, they takes a while for them to warm back up, so they weren't back in their full brightness yet. So I knew it affected the street, not just the house. Um, and the other time was I had put a, a vacuum cleaner on. It must have been on the same circuit breaker, and it. Um, it didn't. I mean, it just registered as an event. It probably was like a little blip. But anyway, so I know not to use. It wasn't on the same outlet, but it was on the same circuit. I won't use that outlet again. Anyway, that's not why all our listeners are here to talk. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to, um, as that that clip that you just heard before, we're going to be reviewing uh, the the 2013 episode Cold War, which um, we we didn't get to review because that was during the the, the Pachox hiatus while I was. Uh, recovering from Sandy, so uh, so we're, we're reviewing that today. But I guess before we go uh, to do the review, we, there's some Doctor Who news that we should kind of cover to start that off. I'll, we'll do the obligatory. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, still have a typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> you never know when you're going to lose power. You got. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, shooting has been well. First of all, um, happy new year to all our listeners. It's it's 2014 today, so uh, the new series has um, begun shooting with Peter Capaldi as the Doctor, and um, you can actually this. I, I I'll need to um, kind of find the, the there was an, a um, a YouTube video that had some footage of him, and well, I don't know if I don't really consider the spoilers, but. Well, I don't consider it a spoiler, but if you want to close your ears just for a, a half a second, well, not a half a second, but a few seconds, he was riding, he was riding a, a horse. Well, it wasn't a real horse, but they were shooting him, you know, in the back of a truck doing a, like a close-up of him and um, wearing, a, he was, had a white shirt on, and I think it takes place in Victorian times, so... Um, but that, I don't know what episode that sure is. sure that wasn't the Musketeers? Are you sure that wasn't the Musketeers, Lewis? You know, he didn't. Ha- he didn't have his goatee or anything like that. <laughs> did, did we talk about who's writing for this series at all? No, we haven't. I had mentioned. You know, I didn't mention names. I had mentioned that, like the format of the series, and I. And but I haven't mentioned the names. Is well, it was Andy? just recently announced that Phil Ford and uh, uh, yes. Gareth Roberts were going to be writing. And I think they joined Neil Cross, and I forget who else was listed there. 
in the list of writers, mm-hmm. but those are the ones that I remember offhand. I can't add to that. Well, it's been a while since since like Phil Ford had because he was doing a lot during like the Russell T. Era, Russell T. Davies era, um, especially like towards the end. Oh, yeah, it's, it's also going to be Mark Gatiss. Ah, that's right. Yeah, very timely. Gareth Roberts is yeah. Gareth Roberts is the fourth writer confirmed joining Stephen Moffat, Mark Gatiss, and Neil Cross. And uh, Phil Ford was recently added to that list. I believe right. he's writing the second episode. It was um, somewhere Stephen Moffat had stated that uh, that the next series following this, following the 2014 series, the next year, 2015, that would be in a similar format that we're seeing for this year. In other words, it will be there won't be a split series, and um, so I'm, and I'm guessing there'll be part of the same amount of, of um, episodes planned. Though I, you know, I don't think that's a BBC confirmation. I think that was um, he might have maybe said that in Doctor Who magazine or. I'm not sure where where that. Where I, I suspect that uh, we had those split series so that they could stretch out the budget to be able to afford mm-hmm. what we had for the anniversary yes. and the uh, the Christmas specials, so that they could be uh, a bit higher quality than what we would have yeah. been seeing if we did not have that additional time to. Yeah, that, to that's. That, I, I had suspected that as well. So, that, that's my speculation. That's not based yeah, on Yeah, well, uh, same here. It's just spectra- speculation. Uh, and apparently Stephen Moffat has said that not only will season eight, but season nine will be a you know, continuous run. Although that doesn't... It's not clear whether the actual series nine is being green-lighted or not. But basically, we're saying going forward, they're, they're going to that. Now, that may be to accommodate... Um, um, his uh, Peter Capaldi's other role because they've already had to make changes to the scheduling of that due to his getting uh, the, the job as the twelfth Doctor, and I'm calling him the twelfth. I'm not messing about with that. Yeah, same here. I'm I'm I, I, I'm calling him the twelfth Doctor as well. You know, the, I'm calling him the first new Doctor. <laughs> the first of the new cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Reboot one. <laughs> Or the current doctor. How's the current that? doctor, yes. That, even better. Well, I, I mean, so, St- Stephen Moffat. That, uh, that uh, segued uh, pretty well to the next story, what you had mentioned. Indeed, yes. Um, the, um, the Peter Capaldi, uh, as people may know, because um, he was, uh, and, and Lewis l- talked about it with the, the girl T. Beard, of course, uh, uh, he is uh, playing Cardinal Richelieu in a, a, a production that starts on BBC One this coming Sunday, the 19th. It's a 10-week run, and it's called The Musketeers, but it's the three musketeers, of course, the uh, Alexander Dumas-based story. There's already mooted the fact that there will possibly be a second series, but um, this actual Musketeers should have actually... It's been in development since 2012, should have actually hit the screens... Uh, uh, 2013, late 2013. Uh, but of course, now as we we know, the Doctor Who's not coming back until August, so we've at least got ten weeks of the current run from, as I say, mid uh, January. Uh, takes us through uh, most of the spring. In other words, if we were going to have a, a split season, that would help. And the other Doctor Who connection is that. Um, 
uh, Murray Gold is the composer on this mm-hmm. series, so th- that uh, seems great. So, yeah, uh, I'm not too sure about the actual airtime of the first one. Uh, I'm not too sure whether it's um, uh, 9 or 10 o'clock, but they, as I say, there will be 10, and they are 60 minutes in length, and hopefully it should also make it to BBC America. Well, speaking of BBC America, on the 19th, if memory serves correctly, I believe that's when the new series of Sherlock starts on uh, BBC America, even though it has already been on BBC One in the UK. Is it BBC America or is it uh, PBS? Oh, you're right. PBS. Yes. Thank you for the correction. Yes. I I stand or, in this case, sit corrected. Yes. PBS. I'm sorry. Elementary. (laughs) Elementary mistake. network. Um, an elementary mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so used to things uh, as of recent times. You know, of course, long-time Doctor Who fans will know that um, PBS used to be the, the the first place that BBC programming went. But now with BBC America, um, especially now with Doctor Who, it's it goes there now. So um, yeah, BB, uh, it's it's P- PBS in the US. So check your local. Uh, PBS station on on showtimes, but I think most of them kind of I think do it on Sunday or if not Monday or something. I don't know. Check your listings. Yeah, just, I think just... PBS tends to show the more uh, historical or educational series because that's kind of what their audience is geared toward. While BBC America will have the action adventure type stuff mm-hmm. or things like Top Gear, which is more geared toward a wider audience. Yeah. Let's see what else is in the news. Um, National TV Awards, 22nd of January. Yes, the actual votes can be cast by the public in the the UK until midday, actually on the same day itself, Wednesday the 22nd of January. Uh, 13 categories, and these awards will take place at the L2 in London later that same day. And uh, there's some Doctor Who connections uh, in terms of uh, the people nominated, they're not necessarily Doctor Who. Uh, for instance, uh, we've got uh, Broadchurch alongside Nabi and Call the Midwife. Uh, uh, but um, Broadchurch, we've got um, in the TD- TV Detectives, uh, David Tennant is, is nominated alongside Olivia Coleman. In that, of course, we saw Olivia Coleman <laughs> in that five doctors in that little opening thing <laughs> where she was with, with Sean Pertwee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the beginning. I, I'm not in it, and I'm in everything. <laughs> I love that little scene. Which, which she was uh, um, <clears throat> in the 11th hour. She was in the, um, she played the the mother, right? Yeah. Right. And uh, and up against uh, also is um, Saran Jones, a textual uh, Bailey from Scott and Bailey, uh, and Bradley Walsh, uh, Sergeant Ronnie Brooks from Law and Order UK, and also against Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Sherlock Holmes. There's another segue. And Edris Elba, Chief Inspector John Luther. Luther. I must admit, I love uh, Edris Elba to win because, I, uh, although uh, much as I admire all the other people on that list, um, well, they're all deserving of it, really, but... Um, I know you know that last. I think it was last year. Uh, Edris Elba missed out. Of course, he's um, he's, he's just been starring as a biopic as um, uh, uh, the South African um, oh, uh, Nelson Mandela, um, who sadly just passed away. 
Uh, and of course, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, he's also got a big screen appearance with uh, 12 Years a Slave um, as well. But anyway, they're both nominated in the TV Detectives uh, section. And um, uh, also in a documentary um, called Penguins Spy in the Huddle, that was narrated by David Tennant, so he's got a small part to play in that. So there are a couple of Doctor Who connections for the television National Television Awards 2014 shortlist. Uh, Matt Smith, by the way, as the Doctor is nominated in drama performance. Uh, one thing uh, to just mention is in the actors, male, um, this year they've combined male and female actors into a combined drama performance. And so although Jenna... Louise Coleman, get that Louise in there, David, <laughs> um, was included in the long list. She failed to the short list because, of course, um, there's not a separate list for men and a separate list for women. And uh, another Doctor Who-related uh, actor, Martin Clunes, uh, mm-hmm. is it Snake Dance? Yes. Um, he's, he's up for Doc Martin. There are other actors as well. But um, that's the National Television Awards, twen- Wednesday the 22nd of January. We're in the awards season, of course. We've just had the Golden Globes. And I think uh, it's not too long before the actual... I think it's this Thursday, in fact. I know this is getting off Doctor Who. But I think it's this Thursday that the actual Oscar nominees will be announced. It sounds about right. It's usually around this time. And then the the, the ceremony is usually at either the end of February or somewhere beginning of, or middle of March. But you're right, right. It's, it's it's the season. It's the season for, for handing out gold, glittery things. <laughs> so, um, What's that podcast I, I would award? like a gold, glittery thing. <laughs> there, there, there are podcast awards. I, I don't really um, participate in them, but they're, if, um, I, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, the, the trouble with yeah, those is that, um, for the, I mean... I, I, it doesn't seem too much the case now unless, I, I mean, I'm just not listening to the shows that do it, but at one point it used to become a beg fest because, you know, where a show will be nominated and then each show they would beg their listeners to go vote for them and, you know, and it just becomes, I don't know, I, I just rather not get be in that situation where we have to, you know, constantly ask people to to vote for us. Please vote for us by listening to us. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, to me, that's the best reward. Is and I have to say that I'm very humbled by um, you know the, the numbers that were you know as far as the download numbers after we've come back that, that they're still strong and you know because I you know naturally after um, being away for so long I, I just I had, I had um, thought otherwise you know that pretty much everyone's probably moved on and so I'm very pleased to say that that our, our numbers are pretty good. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm very humbled and pleased and, and, I, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I, I do thank everyone for the uh, listening and the continuance of, of listening and, and staying on board. Well, I'll move the needle to the next track. Sure. And uh, the 50th anniversary episode was the most accessed program on the iPlayer for all of 2013. Over 3.2 million people had accessed it at some point and it had uh about 0.3 million more requests than the second place program which was episode one of bad education Hmm. and uh all 10 episodes of doctor who that premiered in uh 2013 made the top 50 
Yeah, with many of them getting around the 2 million, 1.8 right. million mark. Yeah. Fantastic. So that's. Uh, I think uh, overall, I think, uh, Taras, it goes on to say um, um, uh, the 2013 episodes overall were requested 19 million times right. uh, as an aggregate. Well, I think that and, and Time of the Doctor, not Time, yeah, Time, were, were very um, high rated on BBC and BBC America. Going back in time to 1967, the Patrick Troughton serial The Moon Base, which I believe is, if it's not out yet, it's coming soon on DVD, uh, like within, um, like very shortly. Is that right? I believe it's coming soon in the UK. I don't know the when the of, North American of, release date uh, okay. is. Yeah. Yeah, 20th of January on Region 2. And, oh, it says 22nd January at Region 4. Of course, Region 4 is Australia and New Zealand. Oh, and February the 11th uh, for Region 1 in the USA and Canada. I think the last time I was on, we were discussing the trailer that mm-hmm. we had seen, and that, I believe, was the trailer from the coming soon of the... Uh, of a previous DVD release. So uh, we've got on uh, Doctor Who TV now on uh, an exclusive clip from uh, the animated uh, episode for the uh, restored DVD. Yeah, so, and that's, you can see that on YouTube. What we'll do is, um, you know, by the time this episode goes out, I'll have that embedded on our site because it's kind of hard to give a YouTube address that has a bunch of low up and lowercase numbers and uh, letters and numbers. But if um, we'll, I'll try to embed that on our site. Um, or if you go to TV, you probably see it there, but um, we'll try to embed That's it on our site. That's how I found too. it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, for, for this story, it's episodes one and three that have been animated using the original soundtrack, of course. And the clip is from the third episode. And I had just recently watched this episode, the, the this story with the the episodes from a reconstruction. I was a bit too uh, quick with my uh, marathon to get the uh, DVD, uh, so, so I may have to revisit this. <laughs> I, I meant to ask you that in, in our intro section. So you're. Um, before we started recording, you had mentioned you're up to the Silurians now, so you're making good progress. Doctor Who and the Silurians, yes. Yes. That... I'm about 20 days ahead of my schedule, so I'm pretty happy about that. That's fantastic. So it gives you some you know, leeway in case you're, you know, for some reason you're held up or you need some, some um, you know, whatever. If you can't get to an episode here or there, you've got some cushion there. Which yes. is a good segue, segue speaking of, of cushion. <laughs> that was well played. Oh, funny guy. So I, I believe um, you had spoken to us originally about this, Tarasso. I'll let you talk about this, that um, about the Peter Cushing connection to the anniversary special. Yeah, apparently Stephen Moffat wanted to include the posters from the Peter Cushing movies in uh, the archive but they couldn't afford the uh, rights to use those images. So in a sense, it would canonize the movies and make them movies in the Doctor Who universe, you know, so that that they had made these movies 
about this character name, Doctor Who, but obviously not the Either Time Either that Lord. or maybe it was a, uh, a different dimension. It could have been any number of things. Interesting. Seems amazing that it was too dear. I mean, I mean, what, what sort of money would they be asking just to have two posters? It seems you would think that they, they would be glad of the... Because basically it's an advert and people might go out and buy the DVDs thinking, oh, it's canon now, I'll watch it. Yeah, it's... Um, I think it, people should watch the movies anyway. They're an interesting take on the uh, the two stories that they are based on. Yeah. Uh, for those that may not be familiar with, because I know there are a lot of new, you know, fans of the new series listening, these these are retelling of of William Hartnell stories, which, but they changed a great deal for the, for the, for the theater, as far as, um, you know, the, the premise goes, you know, it's, um, it's, it's not a time Lord. It's, it's an earth person whose last name is actually who, and, um, who had built a time machine that doesn't really explain why it looks like a police box. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, well, it, it's, to be fair, we didn't know that, the doctor was a time lord. No, much that, later well, in that's true. But, but he was anyway. from an, he, he was from another um, another you know from another time, and um, you, know, you know we knew that he was um, you know from another world as well. And I was just re- recently um, watching the censorites where uh, Susan describes Gal- well not by name that she doesn't name Gallifrey but th- describes her home world with yes. silver leaves. And, and so forth. So, but um, orange sky. Yes. <laughs> Good memory. Well, then again, you had just you've just been revisiting all these yourself. <laughs> well, that's already distant memory. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, now you're the in, rights. You're, you're in the third doctor now. I'm in color. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. So going, but I agree with Tress. Um, it's it's interesting to go see, and you know, and you. If you get the DVDs, whatever they'll you, you see them in the in the sixteen by nine aspect ratio, or um, you know, in the you know in the in the movie format, and um, you know, and this was actually the first time <laughs> audience saw Doctor Who, not a TV series, but you know, a Doctor Who in color, and they, and they you took, see young Bernard Cribbins as well. Yes. Yes, and, and and they took the color thing to heart with the Daleks, you know, making them colorful, and um, you know, and and when uh, Stephen Moffat, that was a no, sort of a nod when Stephen Moffat took over and brought the Daleks back and redone them, you know, what some people call the Skittles Daleks or whatever. Um, the, 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 it's, I think it was a, a tip to the hat to the to the film Daleks, the the movie Daleks that were in color that had that were very colorful. And I'll tell you what, sorry. I, just, uh, I think I prefer the robo men in then to having humans with a bumming eye. Oh yeah, well the, the same thing with the TV series robo men. I, I prefer them <laughs> having an apparatus on their head being controlled <laughs> and stalks coming out of their foreheads. All right, well, um, I, I don't that have... could be easily confused with the Cybermen, though. Yes, but Sullivy. <laughs> I, I I just I I don't know I just I I just don't buy this the the Dalek stalks coming out of their foreheads and I, it's just, it's, it's just uh, that it doesn't 
I don't know, sit well with me as yes. it allows them to sell those little flashlights that are shaped as a Dalek eye stalk uh. <laughs> for the kids in the playgrounds to play with. It's all about the merchandise. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Speaking true. about merchandising. There you go. You see, you were looking for the segue. Be, uh, I, was, I was looking for a segue there. Uh, <laughs> there was going to be a uh, ebook released by BBC Digital in February called The Tales of Trenzalore, which is going to include four stories of the uh, 11th Doctor's time defending Trenzalore. As we had seen some so of that in the time of kind the Doctor, of, those um, the things that I kind of complained about in our in my review of, of um, Time of the Doctor was you know not you know a lot of that was brushed over in narration and um, a lot of that story that we saw on screen with him was him you know we see him sitting waiting and growing old so now we get this kind of explores what we didn't see in Time of the Doctor. Yes, there will be uh, four different stories during the Siege of Trenzalore. Let It Snow by Justin Richards, An Apple a Day by George Mann, Strangers in the Outland by Paul Finch, and The Dreaming by Mark Morris. Not one called Geppetto Makes Toys. Right. (laughs) Well, there's still time. (laughs) I won't reveal which uh, stories will feature which... Monsters, but each one features a classic Doctor Who monster. So that should be fun. Well, it's a whole world of adventure, or or, or or worlds in time, as the case may be. Which is a uh, which I'm not familiar with. Actually, this is a Doctor Who inspired online multiplayer game. But is it? It's just inspired, or does it? Is it really Doctor Who? It was Doctor Who, and it started, I think, in. 2011 is when they announced it, and uh, now it's been announced that they're uh, closing it. I think we had a story about it back in the day. Obviously, I I never Uh, played it. uh, I was just going to say, the the book cover illustration, uh, two things I noticed. First of all, it actually shows which monsters are in the stories, but secondly, it shows the the Doctor as a young man, which seems... Strange, we would have thought they would have uh, taken the opportunity to show him, you know, in a slightly older look. Maybe they're starting from the beginning of the That's siege f- and then leaving room for additional ebooks, depending how yeah. well this one sells. Right. Well, there's a good. You what, have to think like a merchandiser. Six hundred years of the doctor or so to uh, to 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 capture there. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so I, I, I don't know if you mentioned that. The, the, so, the Worlds of Time, this game, online multiplayer game, is coming to an end on the twenty eighth of February of this year, twenty fourteen. So, um, I guess if you're going to play it, or if you want to check it out, check it out now. And um, I, I, you know, well, the the news email says that the game will no longer be accepting transactions from players. So, existing players are welcome to use their. Ah, okay earned in-game currency over the next two months. So I don't know if you've... If so you can... If you're new signed up, you probably won't not, be able to if do If you haven't been signed yeah. up, I do not know if that's possible or not. Now, last but not least, there's some uh, new guests added to Gallifrey 1, which is uh, Terrence Dix, long-time 
Doctor Who um, persona. Uh, originally, um, he was uh, he was on the show itself as a um, screen ed- uh, script editor, right? Is that a script editor and a writer and a writer? And then he did the novelizations, and, uh, the... right? And also is uh, and... Gareth Thomas and uh, Derek Ritchie. Derek Ritchie is the current script editor. So that uh, good book that means there. we'll have two script editors there at Gallifrey. And Derek Thomas, he... of course, is from Blake Seven. Mm-hmm. And he also and he also had a role in T- Torch in Torchwood. Torchwood. Yeah. Yep. And he also appeared in uh, a big Finnish play, if not more than one, if I recall correctly. Yeah, uh, and Derek Ritchie also was involved. Is involved with the the third series of the Wizards v Aliens, didn't which he, is obviously was, a spin-off. Teres, um, no, not na- spin-off, is it really? No, sorry. Now that you mentioned Big Finish, was wasn't he in one of the um, um, the Un- Unbound series? Am I remembering correctly? He was in Storm Warning, the uh, first uh, Paul McGann story. Okay, so, yeah. All right, very good. I don't recall if he was in any... Oh, he was also in the uh, the Dalek Empire stories. He played a character called Kallendorf. Mm, very good. And I think he appeared also as that character in a Seventh Doctor story. So he's uh, got some uh, audio Doctor Who pedigree. All right, Plus, well, getting back to Derek Ritchie, he was an assistant director on Being Human, Becoming Human, and Still Game. Ah. So, good additions to the uh, the guest yes. list. And there's a whole bunch of other guests, but these are the three top names that were announced. All right. Well, you know, I, I thought we didn't have much news to cover, but it turns out that we had a lot of news to cover, so I'm glad, um, I, you know... Thank you for for everyone's contribution here. All right, well, we'll be back momentarily with our review of Cold War. Hi, this is Fraser Hines uh, in downtown L.A., and you're listening to a Doctor Who Podshock. It's the middle of January. Is it cold by you? Well, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, it just may be very cold. And that's why this episode has a very cold theme to it. We're reviewing the Cold War. Well, actually, it's just called Cold War, episode of Doctor Who, and which features an ice warrior. And for uh, this episode's audible selection, we're going to uh, feature Doctor Who and the Ice Warriors. Now, um, for those that are familiar with Doctor Who Podshock, you probably already know that Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from in every genre, including science fiction, but not only. They also have thrillers, business, romance, comedy, and so much more. Audible titles will play on your iPhone, Kindle, Android, over 500 devices for your listening anytime and anywhere. Now, for you, listeners of Doctor Who Podshock, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out their service. 
Now, if you decide you don't like it and you don't want to continue, fine. You just keep, you can keep that free Audible selection as yours and be done with it. To download your free audiobook today, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audiobook. And as I suggested before, we're recommending Doctor Who and the Ice Warriors. This is by Brian Hales, and it's narrated by Fraser Hines, who's played, as you probably know, Jamie McCrimmon, the second Doctor's companion. This is um, basically the, a story which has which features Jamie and Victoria and the second Doctor, and um, and, and it features the um, the Ice Warriors, you know, our good old friends from Mars. So, um, without any further ado, let's hear a little bit from this audible selection. Standby all personnel, base evacuation procedure, phase one, section leaders report immediately. The urgent metallic voice of the computer cut across the quiet bustle of the Britannica's base ionizer operations unit. Although the monitoring technicians continued to work at their places on the central control desk, the standby crews moved briskly to their assembly stations, ready for a routine evacuation drill. Base evacuation procedure, phase one, general alert. Senior control technician Jan Garrett hurried to the sleek control deck of Echo, the computer's communications unit, and stabbed the personal response button. The streamlined artificial head containing Echo's video eye swung into line with Jan's tense face. Reference standby alert, she said tersely, cold grey eyes frowning behind her prim spectacles. Explain. Threat of possible ionizer breakdown, it replied crisply, without a trace of emotion. Relay checks, report malfunction buildup, full data not yet available, all untraced ionizer faults require evacuation standby, it continued. As the voice clattered on, Jan Garrett hurried in the direction of the ionizer control room. She didn't need a lecture from Echo. She was all too well aware of the dangers. If the ionizer ever got completely out of control, it would mean total disaster. Not only would the entire unit be wiped out, but this area of Southern Britannicus would be plunged into the state of radiation half-life for the next 500 years. And without the defensive barrier of the ionizer's heat shield, the whole island would eventually become uninhabitable, locked in the grip of a new ice age. But the computer, as ever, had given timely warning of trouble ahead. With Echo to guide them, they could not fail to hold their own. The flat voice suddenly changed in tone, rising a pitch to a higher degree of quiet alarm. Phase two, Amber Alert! Phase two, Amber Alert! All unauthorized personnel to be located and documented for departure. Jan fought her way through the orderly turmoil of the Grand Hall and entered what had once been the library of the Georgian mansion that now housed the Britannica's base unit. It was in this elegant room, its paintings and its leather-bound books still preserved in their original 20th-century state, that the compact but delicate ionizer was housed in regal isolation, its power lines linked to the small but immensely powerful reactor unit contained in the cellars below. One glance at the machine was enough. All the tell-tale needles were sinking rapidly through amber into the red danger zones. Jan's hands began to operate the relevant controls, damping, adjusting, increasing, desperately trying to achieve stability. Suddenly, the tension that gripped her was sharply increased by the sound of a man's voice at her shoulder. She turned. Leader Clent's face was dark with anger. "'Why has this been allowed to happen?' he snapped. 
The whole Power series is barely above... Again, that's Doctor Who and the Ice Warriors. To download this or any other title that you choose that they have to offer for, as your free audiobook, simply go to Audible Trial slash... I'm sorry. Simply go to audibletrial.com slash podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audiobook. Tharsisian caste, vanquisher of the Phobos heresy, the greatest hero the proud martial race has ever produced. So what do we do now? Lock him up. Is it true? The Ice Warriors have a different creed, Clara, a different code. By his own standards, Skaldak is a hero. It was said his enemies honored him so much they'd carve his name into their own flesh before they died. Oh, yeah. Very nice. He sounds lovely. A nice warrior. Explain. There isn't time. Try me. Martian reptile known as the Ice Warrior. When Mars turned cold, they had to adapt their biomechanoid cyborgs, built themselves survival armor so they could exist in the freezing cold of their home world. But a sudden increase in temperature and the armor goes haywire. Like with the cattle prod thing? Like that cattle prod thing. Bit of a design flaw, to be honest. I've always wondered why they never sorted it. Oh, look, you've got me telling you about them, and I said there wasn't time. <laughs> well, welcome back to Dr. Upachuk. And as you can tell from that clip, we are about to review... Doctor Who Cold War. And as always, before we start a review, I just want to remind everyone. Spoilers. Spoilers. Again. Spoilers. 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 All right. Well, we all know. Um, spoilers are abound going forward. And you may say to yourself, well, Lewis, um, this episode premiered last April of 2013. I think we're... We don't need to do the spoiler art, but, you know, people are listening to the show at all different times, you know, uh, in, in their voyage of uh, Doctor Who. So um, they may not have seen it yet. So just, just as, as a little courtesy, just a little spoiler alert. But um, but that's it. So <laughs> that's done. We'll go forward with our review. So uh, this is, um, as, as I just mentioned, it was uh, it, it was on the 13th of April of 2013 that it was broadcast. Um, actually, um, it's it's one of the shorter episodes of the 2013 series. I um, I, I mean, I, I got it from um, iTunes, and it comes in at 41 minutes. It's it's shorter than any other ones that um, that, that that premiered that year. But I think it, it does have its 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 punch, and it, it's good. Well, first before before I get into the into the story, let's um, make a point to mention that it's written by Mark Adis. No Stranger to Doctor Who, and directed by Douglas McKen- M- um, McKinnon. I'm pronouncing his last name pro- properly. 
so coming off the heels of um, the Rings of Akaton, I I actually really thought this was a because a, a, for me that was sort of a low, and now this was a nice kind of punch forward again. And um, it's great to see um, the return of the Ice Warriors, which we really haven't seen so much in you know since Doctor Who's come back. You know, there was the Waters of Mars where I, you know there's sort of a reference to them and. Um, but we didn't actually, you know, obviously that, that wasn't a story about the Ice Warriors. And Cold War, I, I thought it was a great name. You know, obviously the story uh, takes place during the Cold War, but it's also, when you think about it, Ice Warrior, you know, <laughs> and Cold War go hand in hand, you know. So an Ice Warrior, you would think it would be a Cold War Would we be fighting a Cold War? <laughs> so I, I obviously, I, it just... I. It kind of worked well there. So this takes place in a uh, Soviet submarine uh, near the North Pole um, in 1983, which is nice to see them exploring history, but recent history, because, you know, especially like during the Christmas episodes, we, we get our fill of Victorian times. So it's it's good seeing um, something a little bit more recent um, that, that, that maybe a lot of the audience um, maybe have lived through or Maybe the younger people might have been born then, but uh, for us older timers, yeah, we can. I remember watching uh, Doctor Who in 1983. Yes, yeah, the Walkman owners amongst us. <laughs> I, I thought the the production values were really top notch. Yeah, this is uh, like you know, in in a sense, theatrical value. You know, and I, and I think speaking of which, uh, you know, as far as theatrics go, I, I think. One might say this might be tipping the hat in some respect to um, to Ridley Scott's Alien movie, and in, in, at least in some scenes there, it, it seems to um, been a, a little nod to that. You know, uh, when um, well, word I, is, I, the word is ripoff. You're looking at. Well, no, I wouldn't say that, but it's you know the 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 the, the skitterish movement of the. Anyway, we'll get to that maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it definitely. I think it's a, it's an obvious nod to it. You know, instead of uh, being trapped in a ship, you know, in space somewhere, you're, we're in, in a submarine for all intents and purposes trapped underwater. Uh, you know, near the North Pole, you, you might as well be out in outer space. You know, no one can hear you scream. You know, where they were either. So, <laughs> it has that feel of a Troughton base under siege story, it, which is it does, yes. where you yeah. got the uh, first appearance of the oh. ice warriors mm-hmm. so it's kind of like a, a nod to to that that era as well well and you had mentioned this in our um when we, we were chatting before the show that the block of ice is sort of um a, a um a reoccurrence you know having the, the the ice warrior come out of a block of ice yes in both stories that's how the ice warrior is originally introduced to the uh to the episode now when i i first saw this i said to myself you know what would have been nice if they would have done this but i i there's a caveat to this is um it, before the tartars arrives it would have been kind of cool if they were all speaking russian and then after the tartars arrives without any explanation or anything like that everyone's speaking english or you know at, at least we're understanding them in english but as, as cool as that would have been and i even like rewatching it that thought went to my mind again we have to say that 
that you know it they don't do that with aliens you know when the he when when we see um you know before the tardis arrives if there's a prologue that uh with with alien cultures you know we're not hearing them speaking in their alien tongue before so but i i, I don't know i i just thought it would have been kind of appropriate here but as i said it, um they, they don't do they don't do it elsewhere so why should they do it here but that was my thought when i was watching it yeah, I would agree that that might have been a good idea. Probably it was too long a scene for that. Uh, and also um, uh, they wanted the uh, the professor character to be singing, I suppose. In, well, you still could have sung that that part in English, even even if the, the rest mm-hmm. of the dialogue yeah. ha- hadn't been in Russian. Uh, presumably with, um, with um, you know, uh, text uh, over, the, over the screen so we knew what they were saying. I, I think that would have actually worked well. Well, and we were we were a bit of a miss by saying um, by not mentioning that David Warner is playing the professor here, which David Warner has a long um, history of um, films, and you know I think he you know he brings everything, that, everything. everything. He's he's Just done everything. everything. Every, uh, he's no stranger to time travel either, since uh, he was he was in the, um, the nineteen seventy nine. Um, um, what was that called again? The H.G. Wells story. Um, that was a movie about he was uh, he was Jack the Ripper and H.G. Wells was tracking him. Nicholas Mayer uh, oh, directed yes. it. Uh, um, time after time. I think that time was after it. time. Yeah. I think that was it. Yes, good movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a if you like time travel stories, definitely that's worth checking out. So he, it's actually he plays a lot of heavies. You know, he plays a lot of villains, and so and here it was nice seeing him playing. You know, a um, you know he's not playing an adversary here. He's you know, in a sense, he's he's sort of befriends the um, uh, Clara and the Doctor in this story. Well, I mean, you can go back, well, a lot further than that, but I mean, one of the earliest things I saw him in was The Omen, uh, alongside yes. the second Doctor. Yeah, um, Patrick um, Trouton, yeah. And he played a, Patrick yeah, but he, I think he played a journalist who came to a rather sticky mm. end. Yes. I won't, uh, I won't give it away, but um, well, to say that, so did Patrick Trouton, uh, uh, playing yes. a, a priest. Uh, but as you say, he's been a Cardassian in... Uh, yeah, in uh, Next Generation. Uh, but he has also been in Dot 2 before. He's, um, he played... Um, uh, he did the voice in Dreamland of um, Lord Aslock, was it? Um, uh, the, 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 the principal uh, alien in Dreamland, the, the Tenth Doctor um, animated story. And in the... Doctor Who Unbounds, he played the Doctor in uh, an alternate Doctor in two of the uh, stories, opposite uh, Nicholas Courtney. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why I was thinking that, um, with Gareth Thomas earlier. Unbound was coming to my mind. Maybe, maybe somehow that leaked into it. Okay. You're a long way from home. Five thousand years. I'm 5,000 years adrift in time. Please, let us help you. You are not our enemy. And yet, I am in chains. Doctor, what do I say? Yes, Doctor. What should she say? I think he wants to speak to the organ grinder, not to the monkey. I heard that. You are restrained until we can trust each other, Skaldag. You would do exactly the same in my position and don't even think about using that sort of weapon. 
Not in the torpedo room. I was fleet commander of the Nyx Thassis. My daughter stood by me. It was her first taste of action. We sang the songs of the old times. The songs of the red snow. Five thousand years. Now my daughter will be dust. Only dust. No, 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 no. Listen, your people live on, Scout. They're scattered all across the universe, and Mars will rise again, I promise you. Just let me help you. I require no help. There will be no help. Clara. I'm okay. No, listen, Clara, don't get too close. I'm okay. Doctor, something's wrong. What? Something's... So we we see um, we finally see um, the ice warrior outside of his um, protective armor. There, it was, um, I think it was a, a good play there to kind of because the the, the armor, um, even though they've updated it, it still it still looks a little dated from you know from the 1960s. So I, I thought that was a, a good way to sort of flesh out the character, even though we never do see the complete ice warrior outside of. His armor. We see his hands and um, face, obviously, but um, but you know, I, it's okay. You know, <laughs> some budget saving there as far as not actually seeing the full figure, and but it also adds to the mystery and and, and horror element. You know, they, they always say the great horror films are the ones that you don't see the, the creature right away. You know, it's 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 kept in darkness, and and I, I think that's. Uh, was an obvious thing that they were playing at, you know. I think it was serendipitous that that Steven Spielberg's uh, shock in Jaws, the mechanical shock, didn't always work all the time. So a lot of it, you know, was a was a happy accident because uh, you didn't see the shock when when you might have would have have, but it just didn't work out that way. But and it worked out in the end. Well, I think that this is, approves the point as well. Alongside this, I mean, first of all, uh, I must make a note of Nick. Briggs uh, uh, voice work mm-hmm. on that absolutely fabulous but um, yeah I mean th- th- in many ways this was a great realisation of bringing back this uh, this uh, creature from the classic series but um, two, two or three things first of all I, I don't think um, the the CGI uh, face you know the, the, we have the system again like we did with the Silurians where they, they wear an outer mask and then you, mm-hmm. you see the yeah. face underneath um, uh, and I think that's much more successful with the Silurians than this CGI face that we see looks a, a little bit um, ineffective to me. Um, but the voice was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I think we actually played uh, on one of the past episodes of Podshot um, when we'd had the uh, the latest uh, Doctor Who um, concert, you know, the uh, the proms mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in the actual break time they talked about how they'd come up with the actual sound effects they'd use some whale noises and things mm. like that and uh, and other things to supplement and and they 
lowered the tones. But having said that, even listening to that little uh, documentary they did about it in the break, uh, Nick Briggs acting without the effects um, uh, brought character to this part. Uh, now, I seem to remember Taras being uh, a classical man for the moment. With with this uh, alien race, they were actually, as I thought, they were two, two uh, spe- not species, but there was like the, the mm-hmm. warrior class, the very large lumbering ones, and then the, the actual uh, leaders, the actual officer rank or whatever you would want to mm-hmm. call it were much more slightly built and not actually wearing that outer armor are wearing a much lighter armor where it where ice see, lords the ice lords thank you um so i think this was very successful but uh, where you said this about the um the alien thing i think it was a little bit too skittery and a little bit too small i mean um i, I understand the fact that it it, it could riddle out of its uh, shell, and and to do that, it would have to be a smaller. But I, I, I thought it should have had more substance than that. But I suppose it was to give this sort of the, the in the enclosed area of the um, the uh, submarine, um, it it could have hidden anywhere. And um, I think it was Mike Randall was talking on uh, another podcast and saying that the, the the one thing was that although this submarine was very realistically done. And a little bit like your your flat with water and electricity and all sorts of sparks going up. Um, uh, the, the ceiling height seemed a little high, so that yes, reduced for, down this cluster for a for a real thing. submarine. That, a that, little bit. That, that, that the scene where um, one of the Russian soldiers disappears up, you know, in the ceiling, and that that whole area just seemed a little bit too wide for too spacious for a submarine, really. I mean, but I'll right. give him artistic um, license for it. Uh, just before, uh, well, I'm the sure. missile submarines are a lot bigger than the attack submarines because they have to hold the missiles. Yeah. So usually but, there would be probably enough uh, vertical space for those. Certainly, in some sections, there would be. And right. as you quite rightly say, when we see its surface, it's an enormous submarine. It's you know one of the big class submarines. But if I can just before Taras talks about um, uh, the Saldat character, um, uh, one of the things right at the beginning where we 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 have the the Tardis come here. Of course, from the story point of view, we have these things where sometimes the Doctor can direct where the Tardis goes. Sometimes the Tardis. Uh, takes him where he needs to be, as it were. And, of course, they come out of the TARDIS. Uh, you know, he's got his Elvis glasses on, he's taking her to Las Vegas. Uh, presumably in the 70s he was taking her. Um, even though this story takes place, as you said, in 83. <clears throat> I'm not quite sure when Elvis died, but I think we were going... 77 or 70? I think it was 77. Yeah, yeah, so they were, they were going to the 70s. Um, now, I must admit, they, they showed a, um, a still, a, a promotional still prize it going out of um, Clara in that um, silver outfit which made, uh, gave me a very Zoe moment I must admit <laughs> uh, but they showed it they showed the picture through a bulkhead so you sort of got a, a full length uh, picture of the two of them there uh, inside the submarine so uh, it, it was really very nice uh, where they were thrust into it but I was a little bit taken aback where uh, we have that first scene where you know, the captain reluctantly um, 
is persuaded by the doctor when he talks about, you know, lateral thrust, and that was the first clip I think he played, mm -hmm, and yes. uh, the, they go onto this ice shelf. And he says to the doctor, um, I think we must thank you, you've saved our lives. And then within a second, um, we have this thing where, um, you know, uh, the... the um, I don't know what happens. Oh, yeah, they start, it starts to shift or something like that, and they think they're under attack again, and the, um, the uh, sonic screwdriver goes flying. Presumably, that's the point when it activates the homing device or the, the howls or whatever it was called on the TARDIS. And then you see Clara um, submerge into the water, and you see the thing. Now, I thought, because we'd seen the storyline being built up, this is the girl who dies... I actually thought at that point she, what they're going to do is she's going to die at this point because it seemed very strange because <clears throat> that was reinforced in my mind because when obviously it turned out she'd actually just revived, she'd been underwater and slightly unconscious under the very cold water, suddenly the captain's at the, the doctor's throat, even though just... 20 seconds below, and of course, uh, after, of course, that's if there isn't an advert in between, he just thanked the Doctor for saving his life. So I thought they'd sort of switched all alternate realities or something had happened there. But all it was was to, to show that, that Clara had presumably fainted at that point and the TARDIS had uh, dematerialised uh, and suddenly they were no longer the saviours of the thing. Uh, they were then under uh, suspect again. Since uh, the stories are usually told from the companion's viewpoint, mm -hmm. so when Clara loses consciousness, they move the story forward. Yeah. So we don't know how long Clara was out. Mm -hmm. So that gave some time to move the story forward. And it could possibly explain right. why the uh, the episode length was short. Maybe they cut out a scene from there that just slowed the pace down to a crawl. That would make sense. That, and it would and fit. we just go right into the story instead of uh, some exposition or whatever was there that would have slowed the, the, the pacing down. Right. Uh, I must admit, when, when things like that happen, I, I spend a minute or two chunnering to myself and then I have to catch up with the story. Uh, so it did take me out of the story a little bit. It seemed a little bit uh, of a jolt to me. Well, it, it was natural to me since... The uh, the companions usually are a window into the story, and if the companion goes unconscious, that's a good way to kind of hide some information from us, the viewers, to get us to catch up that at a later sense. time. Uh, and, and I must admit, this is uh, this was a story. Uh, I mean, uh, I know that Lewis said at the beginning about you know the rings of Akatan and. This being, um, you know, more my, like his sort of story. I was really extremely looking forward to this. This was the one that I thought was going to be the real highlight. And I think it certainly was a much better story. But on first viewing, I had a slight disappointment about, because of the shortness of it and the disjointedness, I was a little uncertain about um, the David Warner characterization. Um, uh, no, I'll tell you what, it wasn't that. It was the, uh, another thing that happened before that. Sorry to jump back to the beginning, Lewis. but no, that's okay. Um, when, when the, the sub, submarine man who was in charge of looking after um, the, the, the lump of ice that they'd recovered, mm -hmm. 
he, he said, uh, he, he, you know, he talk, he's talking to himself, but he basically said, uh, you know, uh, the captain wants to take this back, you know, to mainland so it can be checked properly. But I don't want to wait for that. I can't believe a Russian soldier, you know, he'd be, he, I'm not saying he'd be shot on sight, but he'd, he'd be banged up in the brig for the rest of the trip for, for disobeying orders like that. And if he did throw it out and it was, a, you know, a scientific, you know, um, a mammoth or whatever, it would have deteriorated by the time they got back because these missions go on for weeks and weeks and weeks. So, um, again, because it was a realistically set mm -hmm. story, then I expect realistic um, behaviour from the crew. So yeah. maybe that's I, I, my... I agree, my actually. That I, I thought it was out of character. And I remember first watching it, and those thoughts crossed my mind as well, that I didn't think that, that they would get... that someone, an individual, could get away with that, um, you know, acting alone like that, you know. Um, you know, I remember thinking that the first time um, watching it. And seeing it again more recently, I didn't think of it because I've already, you know, accepted it, you know. But, but now thinking back, I think I thought the same thing. Yeah, I mean, one, one could assume that since there is somebody who looks like a civilian, uh, Professor uh, Grisenko, who's who's David Warner's character, you might think that maybe he has some friends high up, and that's how he got access to use this sub for some scientific mission in addition to its primary mission. Well, yeah, indeed. I mean, it was a real nest of vipers, wasn't it? Because his first officer was obviously some sort of, um, you know, um, he had his own um, orders to keep an eye on the captain, didn't he? You know, you know, this could turn out to be a, a hunt for Red October. So, well, you know, there's usually the, a political officer yeah. in, in a Soviet submarine keeping an eye that everybody follows the party lines. So that that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when they were when they were doing the drill at the beginning, well, we didn't know it was a drill, and I thought that was effective. That was a very good intro there because, you know, for all we knew, you know, the world was at war when the doctor was arriving. Um, but it, it didn't even just a little bit of editing there, uh, and perhaps I'm criticising the editing now. But I mean, we see the captain with his finger on the button, but we don't see the first officer with his finger on a second button uh, because I. I always assume it's a failsafe with these that two people have to independently press a button separately. Well, that's how you it know, was in war games. Uh, Lewis, <laughs> otherwise, uh, otherwise, Lewis, you switch your light off and the street electricity goes down, <laughs> doesn't it? In your, yeah, well, in it your happens. area. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you would think that, that but at the end, when uh, jumping, uh, you jumped to the beginning, if we could jump to the end, don't we see two uh, keyhole, two, uh, unless they're two, two, two different views of the same one? I thought there were two. Yeah, um, but was, yeah. there were, but uh, they, it wasn't shown. Um, you would have thought, if it was realistic, you would have shown, because they always have that where one person can't do it at arm's length, where the two, yeah. you would have to have two, two people do keys it. To, yeah. 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 I really like Liam Cunningham's portrayal of Captain Zhukov. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Yes. yes. Now, one thing I noticed from his performance and a couple of the other uh, sub-crew uh, members, their performances, uh, it, they kind of sounded a bit to me like uh, we had from uh, Sean Connery's performance in A Hunt for Red October. They seem to have been... Uh, kind of 
sounding like that to me. Sounds a bit like Chekhov to me. Is a sound uh, a nuclear? Is it, uh... <laughs> the w- nuclear vessel? <laughs> yeah, that was it. That was, that was the one. That was it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 I do think he, uh, the Liam Cullen, uh, Cunningham actor is, is really great. Um, he was the best thing in uh, the science fiction that actually got cancelled, The Outcasts. Uh, if anybody, that was a UK uh, science fiction series where he plays the commander of. Uh, uh, it was from 2011. This was where they were they were sent to another planet uh, called Carpathia. And um, I think there were only eight episodes of that, maybe, before it got canned. Um, but that had uh, Daniel Mays in it from um, Ashes to Ashes and uh, has some great uh, characters in it. But, um, yeah, he, he plays that commanding officer very, very well indeed. Reminded me a bit about the, a little bit of the actor who was the, um, the leader of the, um, the humans in um, the Doctor's Daughter episode, um, you know, the one that, that you said, uh, Lewis, I think when you saw it, you thought, oh, it's uh, the man from uh, King Arthur or whatever it was. Uh, and I'm trying to remember his, the actor's name for that now. I do talk myself into corners, you know, with this. <laughs> I never know where my voice is going. So, But if you if you remember the leader in mm-hmm. the um, the Doctor's Daughter episode... Yes. Yeah, um, I had an unmistakable actor, voice, yeah. Comrades, you know our situation. If we actor is drowned, we are totally reliant on battery power and our air is running out. Rescue is unlikely. But we still have a mission to fulfill. If the doctor is right, then we are all that stands between this creature and the destruction of the world. Control of one missile is all he needs. We are expendable, comrades. Our world is not. I know I can rely on every one of you to do his duty without fail. That is all. Listen to me. We both understand each other. This... This muning time of peace, it doesn't suit us. We're both warriors. And... Together... We can form an alliance. An alliance. With the Cold War. Cold War. Both sides are capable of completely obliterating the other. It's a state we call mutually assured destruction. Mutually assured destruction. But this has not occurred. No. Not yet. It's interesting how either it's Murray Gold or the sound effects people, you know, incorporate it like the heartbeat sound in 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 that scene there. Yeah, and Nigel Terry, it was uh, I was trying to think of from uh, yes, the Nigel, yeah, door. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the the first officer, by the way, um, he, he played a very good part. Um, um, Tobias Menzies, is it? I think. Lieutenant Sebastian. 
Yes. That's it, yeah, yeah. He's just been recently in a latest episode of uh, Silent Witness. Um, unfortunately, he gets a little bit typecast because he always tends to be the, 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 the sort of person with a little bit of uh, not very good moral fibre, so he, get, he gets a little bit uh, typecast into that sort of a role. But um, yeah, I thought he was extremely good in this. He was a good uh, counterfoil to the captain, really. Yeah, and, and I don't think he was all that trusting to the doctor either. Yeah. So now, Dave, you had mentioned that you didn't like the the CGI head of the the ice warrior. You, you were a little disappointed. Well, it looked a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it looked a little bit. What's the word? Not see through, but I mean, it not solid. It looked a bit pasty, and it didn't. Yeah, it didn't look solid. Um, and also, when he had the the helmet and the thing on. The, the the actor obviously I mean we've mentioned the actor um, we've mentioned Nicholas Prigg doing the actual voice but the actual it was um, Spencer Wilding uh, Spencer Wilding, Wilding. Uh, so yeah but you could see a very strong chin under there where when it came up it looked a little bit of a squashed in face well underneath. actually I, I, I thought the shape I'm not sure that was realised I, I I think you have a point there with the squashed in like I I thought the shape. Didn't, was a mismatch to how he looks with the helmet on. Um, I mean, unless his face, you know, is is pliable, whatever. It's just he, the CGI face seems very round, and with the helmet on, the the, the head looks more oval. So it, it just didn't seem like if you it didn't seem like if you the helmet would fit on his head. If you take my meaning. Yeah. Again, they were, they were they were trying to do something more than because in the originally you never you know and the doctor makes a mention that this is like the first time that he sees them outside of the protective armor you know so and again I think they were trying to do something more than just rely on what we saw you know in the 1960s when um, maybe something like that was a little bit more accepting you know as far as the costume goes and they updated the costume but it you know I think it's I mean they had to keep it. They had to keep it honest and true to the original, yet modernize it. But I, I don't. I, I think um, the CGI is what really brought it to what maybe today's audiences would expect. Mm. I mean, I love the. Um, I thought Matt Smith did uh, did a very good job on this. I, I like the way he's describing, you know, the Ice Warrior and uh, and uh, his 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 sort of admiration for their warrior class and so on and mm. treating with respect. And and I also love the the fact that Clara, you know, goes in and um, you know the, the spunky girl that she's. Although I say again, doesn't sound very right. Say a UK girl's a spunky girl. It always sounds a more American term, but. You know, she she went in and um, uh, and arbitrated there. Uh, of course, the it didn't pull the wool over the eyes um, because uh, you know, yes, doctor, what should she ask? You know, but um, but I've thought rather a lot. I think I, I'd like to see what uh, you know Taras thought about this episode. I really enjoyed this episode. This uh, showed us some aspects of the Ice Warriors that we hadn't seen before though there was uh i guess a story that was replaced by the seeds of death that was supposed to uh go into the origins of the ice warriors that kind of hints at what they look like without their armor that uh, was recently done in the big finishes lost stories 
series uh, Lords of the Red Planet, which was also written by uh, Brian Hales. So that was interesting to listen to that after having seen this story. But I really enjoyed this story. It really gave a feel for the time and being on a submarine. Mm. And it really called out to the, the old Troughton base under siege stories, which uh, were quite enjoyable when I was rewatching them recently. Yeah, I think it was very good. I mean, um, of course, we, we, we had, um, dare we even mention the words Dr. Victorious, but we... We had the the story in the tenth Doctor's uh, uh, set on Mars with the, you know, with the water. Water always wins. I don't know whether that clashed somewhat with the thought of um, uh, this race uh, as against that. I don't know how the two uh, go together. Really, I suppose we've got to think of them as separate time periods in Martian history. Again, jumping to the end, I'm not too sure about that spaceship. Again, it reminded me a little bit. For those people who saw the Sarah Jane Adventures, maybe the, I think it was the very last episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures, um, where we have a story where there's a spaceship comes. I won't say too much about it, but there's a spaceship that comes down to collect some people, some uh, mini, um, very small characters that are in one of the stories. And um, to me, it seemed a very similar sort of spaceship. It, I'm wondering whether the CGI was... Um, uh, under a little bit of financial pressure on this, although it was certainly a better spaceship than the one in uh, the eleventh hour. I didn't like the one with the big eye in it. So we've had some rather strange spaceships in some of these uh, recent Doctors. Of course, I'm not sure who does the CGI now because the mill is no longer the place that they always go to, is it? That, that I, for I a long time was. Um, I, I seemed I didn't freeze frame it, but I, I think if you go and I, I think maybe. I, I think I saw the mill in the credits. Is what I'm saying. I, I'm. I don't know to what extent, but right. I, I think I did see the mill in the end, in the end credits. So maybe I think, uh, maybe they Millennium use them from time FX to time. May have done. Uh, may have done the uh, the Ice Warrior. It could be that right. it could be that one that did uh, the Ice Warrior. Maybe one did the spaceship, or um, you know and. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming, um, you know, some of the, the submarine as well and, you know, some of the, I don't know, you know, what what are model shots and what might be CGI. When the submarine initially, uh, in that early scenes when when it's sinking and all that and you hear some of the sounds of the, uh, you know, that, that you hear in the background, it reminded me of the AT-80 walkers. Um, just speaking of effects and um, going to audio effects, if you if you listen to that, it, it does really, I mean, um you know, for the Star Wars films, they sample sounds from everywhere and they incorporate it. So it, um, it doesn't mean anything. I'm not saying that they took it from Star Wars. I'm just saying that it's just, just a coincidence that uh, there's similar sounds there. I think the uh, the Ice Warrior outside of the costume was actually an animatronic. Ah. Of which they they built the whole body. But we don't see that. We don't see it. We never see the whole body. We, we don't only... see that in the episode. Well, presumably they they did some. That's another reason why it might be short. Maybe the, uh, they, they maybe it, it may work. well be that they, they had more. Yeah, they had more prolonged looks to it, and they said um, it doesn't look. I mean, because they 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 got this very strong, very strong voice. I mean, it 
Um, mm. As I say, the voice acting by Nick Briggs and the, uh, the the other enhancements that they put on that really were. I mean, this seemed a phenomenon. Uh, Phenomenal creature. I mean, uh, I mean, you see these great chains about it, and so on. And I, I think again, like you said, the the Cold War was exactly the place to set this creature because um, one of the things that uh, is implied is that a little bit like uh, the episode Dalek. You know, yes, just one so of this race yeah. mm-hmm. could could do could do what it did. Uh, so there's a parallel there, and of course, this is the ideal thing. It's it's. Um, if I can bring a cowboy analogy into this, it's the the man with no name, where he goes to a village where the two clans are equally balanced and no one can win. So he he finds out that which side he wants to go to to be in, and he goes to the other side and and picks a fight and kills three of the other side, tipping the balance. And basically, the way that Skaldak can bring about this is he's in a nuclear submarine. You are in a car. It's got all these. All it needs to do is fire one of those towards some, you know, Western civilization, uh, and the the domino effect kicks in, uh, and it's as, I mean, very stupidly for the uh, for the, um, the not the, the the first officer, who you think you know military secrets and all that, talks about this mutually assured destruction thing, which basically. Gives Shaldak the 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 plan really he hands it him on a plate. Yeah, but I, I think it actually. By the way, the uh, I don't think we I don't think you mentioned um, the appreciation appreciation index for this um, eighty four, which is uh, I thought it was slightly higher. As I say, I, I did very much like it, but I was expecting to be blown out of my chair with this one. This was the one I was really looking forward to. Um, <clears throat> but if we take a look at that second half of the uh, season, with yeah. the exception of the first and the last episodes, they were basically all 84s and 85s. So as far as the AIs go, they were kind of like on an even keel. Right. Yeah, it got uh, 7.37 million viewers at the time. Um on BBC One. Yeah, it went up to... Uh, uh, it, there was another one point... Because uh, Tyrus was talking about BBC iPlayer. 1.65 million viewings on the iPlayer as well. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's... Um, I mean, it's an awful lot to recommend this. Anyway, go on. Yeah, I'm going to play one last clip and then we'll do our overall um, assessment. Wait, wait, wait! He's arming the warheads! Where is the honour in condemning billions of innocents to death? 5,000 years ago, Mars was the centre of a vast empire, the jewel of this solar system. The people of Earth had only just begun to leave their caves. 5,000 years isn't such a long time. They're still just frightened children, still primitive. Who are you to judge? I am Skaldak. This planet is forfeit under Martian law. Then teach them, teach them. Grand Marshal, show them another way. Show them there is honor in mercy. Is this how you want history to remember you? Grand Marshal Skaldak, destroyer of Earth. Because that's what you'll be if you send those missiles, not a soldier, 
a murderer. Five billion lives extinguished, no chance for goodbyes. A world! A world snuffed out like a candle flame. All right. All right, Skaldak, you leave me no choice. I'm a time lord, Skaldak. I know a thing or two about sonic technology myself. A threat. You threaten me, Doctor. No. No, not you. All of us. I will blow this sub up before you can even reach that button, Grand Marshal. Blow us all to oblivion. You would sacrifice yourself. In a heartbeat. Uh, it's um, interesting how um, they get out of that situation because um, basically um, Clara calls upon um, his humanity, if you will. You know, remembrance of... Of you know, because he speaks earlier of his um, singing songs with his daughter. Daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, his sense of honor. Yeah, they, they sang songs of of the red snow or something like that. I don't. I can't. I'm paraphrasing. Um, so yeah, the, the, and then even when he is transported back to the ship, his uh, when when his people do come. There's a um, a part where you know where, where the, the the missiles are still armed and and then Clara starts singing, <laughs> you know uh, there was a beat going on with with uh, the David Warner's character and and pop music that he was listening to you know the popular music of the time of 1983 so uh, Ultravox and and uh, Duran Duran's Hungry Like the Wolf so she starts singing uh, part of Hungry Like the Wolf and I don't know if he really hears that but it might be just coincidental but uh, you know where um, I guess he, they decide not to, you know, to, to release the, the the army mechanism. So overall, I, I did enjoy the story. I thought it was. Um, I mean, I I know I realize it's not one that um, you might not be able to rewatch over and over again. But every now and then, I think it's it's nice to kind of pull out and watch. And um, I, I think there's definitely nods to uh, to Alien and and as um, Taras was saying um, to the Trouton era with a base on the siege. Red October. And, and yeah, hunt, hunt for and Red also October. Hunt for Red October. Yes. So I, I think that that all plays into it, you know. Um, and I, I think uh, the the acting is done very well. I, I agree with both of you with um, Liam Cummings, um, you know, playing the captain. That character was done very well. Uh, David Warner, like I said, it was refreshing seeing him, you know, in a science fiction role where he's not the heavy. And um, you know, it's it's good to see. Um, a story like this. And it's great to see the ice warriors come back. You know, it seems like, you know, every year, like we, we ponder which of the classic, you know, if you will, you know, uh, foes that may return to Dr. Who. And, um, this was a long time coming because, uh, like I said, we hadn't really seen them, um, in, in, well, in some time in, in decades, really. Um, so it's, it's their last appearance was in, uh, 1974. I, um, Monster John, of Peladon. John Pertwee story, yeah. They were supposed to come back during the Sixth Doctor era, but it might be a good thing that they did not because that was kind of not that great of a story. Mm-hmm. Oh, was that one of the stories that ended up being replaced by Time of a Trial Lord? Uh, Trial of Time Lord. <laughs> right, it's from the cancelled season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Oh, so I, I'll Do you want give, to give your. I'll give it. Yeah, my. I'm going to give it four out of five. Tardis groans. I like. I said. I, I thought the pacing was good. I think it's a good. Um, you know, it, it's interesting listening to the audio only because uh, I think Dave has mentioned this 
previously on, on um, previous episodes, you know, listening to the audio, sometimes you, without the video, you, you pick up on things that you might not have heard watching it. And I, that was the case with me with the, with some of these audio clips. So it's, it's, it has a um, nice textured layering there of, of different information that um, sometimes you're, you're, you're looking at the visuals and you may not pick up everything that's, that's there, you know, that's present in audio. So, um, it might be a nice practice to kind of turn the picture down and just listen to some of these stories without the, without watching them. So, yeah, I, I like I said, I, I, I did enjoy this. I'm going to give it four out of five Tardis groans. Um, it's good to see the ice warriors back. And, um, like I said, I, I, I just thought there were, um, I, I didn't really think there were ripoffs. I just thought there were nods to a lot of other previous work that, you know, it's, it's not unlike Doctor Who to do this, you know, especially with the, the Hitchcliffe, um, series, you know, uh, Brain of Morbius. And you, you can point to a lot of the stories that were nods to, uh, previous, um, works that were done before. So uh, this is, um, Doctor Who meets Hunt for Red October in a sense, and uh, with, with, a, a pinch of alien in there too. All right. Well, um, Dave or, or Taras, if you want to give your overall summary of it. Well, I thought this was one of the highlights of the second half of series seven, probably with the exception of the two bookmark episodes, probably the strongest episode of that run, mm. in my opinion. And I really enjoyed the setting and uh, the execution in this episode. Dave? Okay. Uh, yeah, of course, you don't give a rating. I was just waiting for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I, um, I, I, I did enjoy it, and I certainly enjoyed it more on the second viewing. First viewing, as I say, I, I had a slight sort of double take at the beginning, wasn't sure what's happening. Again, that was because of the setup with the, this Clara character and, and so on. <clears throat> but uh, I, I liked the way that we were immediately into the story. Um, the 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 cast here was a very very high quality cast. Maybe that's because they're only got a small cast that can do that. It is a bottle episode, mm-hmm. it, yet it still reminds me. Oh, I suppose Fang, uh, the horror of Fang Rock was a um, uh, a bottle episode in, in as much as it was on a lighthouse and a a, a small island. Um, I I think uh, this is one of my favourite. Matt Smith's performances. I uh, love the performance by Clara. David Warner, uh, it threw me a little bit because I was expecting, like you said, there was going to be some hidden depth. And the reason for that is that um, right near the beginning when the captain asks him um, about the ice, and he says, uh, Mammoth? Uh, and the way David Warner can mm. play so much into his reply, probably. But you always <laughs> had the feeling that he secretly knew it was something else. Yeah, I, I suspect he did. Going yes. Yeah, I, I thought so too. Yeah. yeah. I uh, so, so I was waiting. That, I was waiting for that to unravel a little bit. It never did. Um, the 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 Nick Briggs takes an awful lot to me for this one uh, for its success. Liam Cunningham, I, I love him as an actor. Go and see Outcast just to see to to see him. Um, and as I said, Tobias Mendes. He, he, he does get tend to be typecast in this sort of less than reliable character, but he's absolutely perfect for this part. Uh, the other thing I should mention is um, it also reminds me, but it, it doesn't quite come up to 
one of my older favourites, and that is uh, Midnight, which, of course, is another similar, mm. you know, they're in the, the bottle episode. I think Midnight is a better story. Having said this, I like this because we're out of the, the fairy tale from, from the previous week. And also I was looking forward um, when I was seeing the link into the uh, next week's uh, story, which uh, hopefully we will be reviewing at some point, maybe fairly soon, uh, the Hyde one, which of course has um, the actress that we now know as playing uh, uh, Verity Lambert, um, oh. Jessica Raines, mm-hmm. isn't it? But, um, uh, yeah, so... Um, I thought it was one of the highlights. This was one of my favourite ones. Because some of my favourite stories have actually been let down by the monster. In other words, mm-hmm. the Lazarus experiment, a lot of people don't rate it. I think, again, Mark Gatiss was acting in that rather than he wrote this. Uh, but to me, that was spoiled by the CGI monster. I love Vincent and the Doctor. But to me, if there was any letdown to that, it was the naff monster in it. Mm. Uh, where here, I think the monster was only slightly let down by those CGI effects. But overall, highly successful. And I think there were just a few little blips in the editing. I, th- I think maybe they were under pressure. because the- Now, when you introduce this, you- obviously it's season seven... Um, I'm not quite sure whether it's episode eight or episode nine because it depends on whether people include the previous Christmas story. Uh, some people list this as episode eight, some as nine. But uh, you've got a feeling that they were getting down to the wire now because obviously at the beginning of the series, I mean, we've already talked in the news that Peter Capaldi is already filming and those episodes are not going to come out till August. Uh, but as you go through a season the lead time gets shorter and shorter. So I do feel as though, uh, and I'd, I don't really want to say the editing was not up to par, but I think it it could have done with another look through. I think another minute or two added here and there just to explain, you know, the um, the firing mechanism, the... Um, the, the Although I do take Taris's point, I think it's very valid that, you know, we we follow the companion's view. So if Clara was uh, out cold, then then it's quite right that that moves. But the, 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 the captain's character seemed to, to turn on a coin at that point between being grateful to being saved to sort of basically lunging at the Doctor and pinning him against the wall. Um, so I think just another two or three minutes and maybe just another look at the editing could have elevated this from the four out of five I'm going to give it to nearly a five. I think this could have been an absolute top, top of the range Doctor Who episode just with, it was that pinch of salt mm-hmm. um, off being absolute, uh, uh, you know, a, a really... Very, very high story, but it definitely is worth a rewatch, and it definitely is uh, one of the things that Doctor Who does well. The bottle episodes often turn out to be very, very strong ones. Uh, they're almost, uh, I think we've said this about another story recently, is them. there are some Doctor Who stories that you can imagine them being set on the stage as a play. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think this... I think this is one of those sort of stories that, you know, it, Midnight would absolutely make a fantastic play, I think, for some amateur group to do. 
uh, and I think this also could be done like that. Um, so four out of five, did enjoy it, enjoyed it even more on the second viewing after, as I say, on the first viewing, I just had a few little scratches of my head. Fantastic cast, fantastic uh, audio, whatever. And uh, again, I'm going to take what uh, Dar says. Some of these stories, you almost, you have to listen to them in surround sound. I haven't got a digital surround sound. I used to have the old ProLogic one, the analogue one, but that system's gone from my house and I haven't now got a 5.5, 5.1 surround system. I wish I had because I've got a feeling this one would have really is, been I, even more atmospheric. I, when I was originally watching these yeah. back, um, I, I couldn't. I was watching them on actually on a standard definition um, set because uh, I didn't. I didn't have access to my HD at that time. So now rewatching them again, it's sort of, it, in a sense, it's, um, and I said this in the previous episode, it's, it's almost like watching them again for the first time because now I'm seeing them right. in HD and widescreen and, um, and with the digital audio, uh, the digital surround sound 5.1. And it is, they, they do a great job with that, you know, so, um, you know, kudos to that. And, uh, you know, even speaking of sound, um, on a technical note, you know, that, that scene where Clara is coming out of consciousness and you hear, she hears the, you know, the voices coming in and out and they're getting louder. I think they did that very well. I really felt like, like Tarras says, you, um, you know, you're in the point of view of the companion. And I think that illustrates it right there in that, in that scene where, you know, we, we, the audience don't know what took place while she was unconscious. And then as she comes out of it, um, you know, it, it, it comes to light. So, um, I, I can see that because I think sometimes when that 5.1 surround sound is, 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 uh, mixed down to just stereo, sometimes that central dialogue channel gets a little muffled. And I know there's quite a few fans, very strong fans of Matt Smith uh, as the Doctor, still sometimes feel that they miss some of his lines Mm. because of the quick delivery and so on. And that's not down to his thing. It may just be down to the fact that you almost need that centre channel for for the uh, for the the main voice work, yeah. I I just thought um, I mean this is one of those stories that, that is very theatrical. You know it it does um, you know it, it, you you know it it's almost watching a mini movie. You know it's it's I that, I guess my might be my only complaint is that it's it's kind of short. There's some a little. They, they could have done a little bit more layering with the story, like going more into um, David Warner's character, maybe what he was there for, and, and you know, maybe there might have been some question of his, you know, the, the, you know, maybe the captain could have um, um, cornered him and said, you know, you knew this wasn't a mammoth. Why did you bring this on board? Or you know, there could have been another little plot going on there with some tension between him and, and the captain perhaps or yeah um, yeah who, who who's in charge of this sub sort of thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, w- one thing that slightly was a, a slight down with this i mean i know it was done for light relief at the end but you know with the oh. uh, i think taras mentioned it mm-hmm. the, the 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 tardis actually materializes at the south pole and he just says to the captain uh, can we have a lift i mean uh, i remember saying it was uh, it'd probably take a submarine at least three to four weeks to sail from the north pole to the South Pole, you know, undetected underwater. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. you know, I suppose they had to do it light because if they didn't do it light, 
the first thing that the captain would say is, well, we've got one thing out of this. We've got the doctor and his technology. We'll take that back, you know, behind the Iron Curtain and, and we'll, uh, you know, this uh, sonic screwdriver will be pulled to pieces and so on. So I suppose they had to finish on a light note yeah, at that point. Yeah. I mean, obviously... That sort they... of reminds me of... That, that reminds me of the end of uh, the Space Pirates when they need to get back to the TARDIS and they're hitching a ride back with Milo Clancy and Jamie uh, says, oh, no, we'd be better off walking. And the doctor responds to him, you might just have to. <laughs> well, they obviously had to get the TARDIS out of the submarine because we had to get the doctor and Clara trapped with the rest of the crew underwater. So they had to, you know, write, they had to write some excuse on how the TARDIS is not unavailable to them. And, um, and, and I guess, you know, they, they wrote, you know, this um, aspect that, you know, as a self-preservation thing, the TARDIS relocated itself. And, it, and at the end, we learn where it's on the South Pole and they're near the North Pole. And, um, but, you know, even, as you said, and Dave... The last time the TARDIS did that was in the Crotons. Yeah, you know, you know, uh, everybody knows how old I am. What uh, I mean, why doesn't he do what the Lone Ranger did? He used to whistle, and his horse would come running. I mean, <laughs> well, it I would make that. It actually whistle, would make more sense if if he used you know his magic wand or AKA the sonic screwdriver to to call the TARDIS back because. I mean, like you said, Dave, it would take too long for um, even for the submarine to go, you know, you're talking about, you know, halfway around the world, literally. And plus, he would probably have to get permission from I'm sure he couldn't just make that kind of decision on his own without getting some sort of um, orders from Moscow. And um, and also the other fact is it could only go as far as the Antarctica. Then, you know, Clara and the doctor would have to still travel to the South Pole because um, there's a continent down there. It's not like the North Pole where you can just, you know, travel. But, you know, well, there's ice and whatever. But, um, you know, there's a landmass. We just had this story. Yeah, we just had this story in the South Pole where this... uh, this uh, crew got uh, caught in the pack ice. They sent an icebreaker to get that. That got stuck. They sent an icebreaker to get that. That got stuck. Then they had to send for for one from back from Australia to come <laughs> to get them out. I mean, okay, we're anyway. getting stuck in the ice. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah, yeah. We are indeed. Yeah, uh, but I suppose well, it is the middle that's of winter. The reason why they ended on a frivolous <laughs> note because realistically, uh, there was no way of ending. Uh, that and getting reunited them with the TARDIS in any sensible way, but um, good story nonetheless. Yeah, like I, I, like I said, we move on to feedback. Yeah, we will. Maybe because <laughs> I, I think we're kind, we've given our ratings yes. and now we're just we're, like we're, spinning we're, our wheels. We're, we're, we're beating a, a frozen dead horse. All right. Well, let's let's <laughs> let's do feedback. So before we get into the feedback, do you want to, this is sort of news. And at least for the show, it's news. Uh, we do have a new number for the Doctor Who Pachak public call box. And um, so, um, scratch away, you know, I know you had written that phone number down, you know, or um, by your phone, whatever. You could uh, scratch a new number down. The new public public call box number for Pachak is area code 206-337-4699. So, again, that's 206 337 Four six nine nine for the Pachak public call box, and that works like voicemail. You just call, leave a message, keep it short, maybe like three minutes or so at most, and um, you know try to include your name. It could be just your first name or 
doesn't have to be your real name just so that we can refer to you as so and so you know giving feedback and um we would like to hear what you have to say either about cold war or any doctor who related subject that you care to talk about we we're all ears so um it's a chance to get on the show again um uh, whatever carrier um, you're using, you know, if there there may be tolls involved, we not char- we don't you know we're not charging anything for it. It's um it's a, it's it's a free service for us and for you. It's um only you know just be aware that you're calling the two zero six area code in the U S. So um but many people so with mobile distance charges may apply. Yes, if you're using a landline. Yeah, I mean many people today with mobile phones, um at least in the U S. It's not gonna it's everyone it's and and even with um, phone services that are over IP, whatever, I'm not going to get into all that. You, you you know what you pay for and what you don't pay for. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go into the email bag right now. This is uh, Kate, um, Kathy. Kathy Bailey had written to us. Uh, good to have the Pachak podcast back. It was missed. Just I wanted to comment on Peter Capoli uh, as the new doctor. He really reminded me of Doc Brown from Back to the Future movies. I realize that the Doctor is always disoriented after regeneration, but Peter Capaldi's wild eye uh, look suggests a different kind of Doctor. Not sure what, though. It, not sure what, though. Is anyone else? I'm sorry. Is anyone else remaking, remarking on this? The Christmas special was a little tedious, but it bears rewatching. I was glad to see the silence got explained. I will miss Matt Smith, who did a remarkable job. However, Day of the Doctor was fantastic. I enjoyed watching John Hurt um, gently take John Hurt's gently take uh, take young Doc. I'm sorry, I'm messing this up. <laughs> I enjoy watching John I Hurt gently watching John Hurt gently take young doctors David and Matt down a peg or two. Yes. Even What's annoying Rose got, was Gallifrey, great. Gallifrey stands. <laughs> <laughs> the mixture of humor and seriousness was just right. Well, that's it. Happy New Year and all the best. Thank you, Kathy. Um, I, you know, it's too early to kind of judge what um, Peter Capaldi's doctor is going to be like. You know, after every regeneration, you know, we only get a little sampling of what the new doctor is, and I think that's why. And I mentioned this in a previous show. That's why uh, way back when when John Earth, John Nathan Turner um, had the regeneration of um, uh, the fifth Doctor go into the sixth Doctor. You know, we see a small scene with the sixth Doctor, but then he had following that episode the first f- full episode of the um, of Colin Baker as the sixth Doctor, so that the audience wouldn't have to wait a long time before seeing the new Doctor. Um, unfortunately, I. You know, we can argue if that story was uh, was worth it or not, but uh, that's another matter. Uh, but yeah, and, and I think she's quite right. Uh, I think she's implying here as well that this um, the Christmas set, uh, special suffered a little bit because, mm-hmm. of course, the day of the Doctor was so fantastic. I think uh, we we came off a, a tremendous high with that, yes, yeah. uh, and with all the other things that went around it. You know, adventure in space and time, and the five-ish Doctors, and really, I mean, uh, our cup was full already. Um, and Christmas specials always have this um, this double job of uh, entertaining non-hooers, as it were, and satisfying hooers. And um, so it's always really 
uh, likely to to fail to some some part of the audience. And I agree. I believe that the day of the doctor was meant to appeal to a certain segment of the audience and time of the doctor to another segment. Absolutely. It seems to be that those that really liked one didn't like the Mm. other as much and vice versa. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. And and I too enjoyed John Hurt's. uh, At least from the people that I've spoken to. His uh, his take on on the younger doctors. I'm sorry if I messed that up during the in the email. I'm horrible at reading um reading out loud that way. <laughs> what are you guys always pointing <laughs> the screwdrivers? Yeah. Do you want me to have oh, a go at the other Yeah, one? P- please do if you like. Well, I'm not going to say I'm doing any better, but well, this is from I'm uh, sure you Don, Donald Pretty John. Um, greetings. I just want to let you know that I think you're doing a great job in reviewing and keeping Doctor Who fans informed. I have just found the Podshock iPod recordings and tried the last four productions, episode uh, 285 to 288, to see how you gentlemen were on the air and the quality of work you did. All I can say is that I was impressed with it all, enough so that I have joined as a supporting member. Well done. I am one of those new Doctor Who fans that you mention every so often. I got my start a few years ago when I saw my first Doctor Who episode on BBC America by accident. It was The Impossible Astronaut in April 2011 with the start of season six. I love space and I grew up on the Apollo series. Yes, I'm old enough to have been aged three for Doctor Who in 1963. Anyway, I was hooked and I had seen more the next week. The big reason I never see uh, any Doctor Who before was twofold. I grew up in the USA when Doctor Who was finally shown on PBS in the mid-70s. I was in high school, and the last thing on my mind was TV. Oh, was it then, eh? (laughs) Um, Then after that, I joined the military, and that really never gave me any time to spend watching TV. Um, I was injured. I should think I would put the word sadly in there. I was sadly injured while on active duty, and now spend my time at home and have all the time in the world to watch TV. Uh, That has given me the opportunity to catch up on Doctor Who. I've seen all the new Doctor. I have it all on iTunes. And I am now starting to catch up with the classic Doctor. I have bought most of what is available on iTunes, bought some selected DVDs, but trying to get a flavour of all the Doctors. Anyway, I don't want to bore you, but I just wanted to let you know that I am enjoying listening to you gentlemen discussing the different aspects of Doctor Who. Sometimes it gives me a different perspective to an episode than I have thought about and that I appreciate. It is a show that the fans care about deeply, I have found, probably more than any other in history. Fondest regards, uh, Donald. Thank you, Donald. That's a lovely uh, piece of feedback. Indeed. And, um, and thank you once again for becoming a supporting subscriber. It really does um, make a difference. So um, much, much thanks there. And... Um, it's great that you know it's it's for longtime fans. It's interesting now how um, you know seeing new people come into the fold, and um, it's really interesting. Uh, some of because some of some of these new people are, are longtime friends of mine that you know twenty years ago may have I don't want to say frowned at me watching Doctor Who, but they just it just wasn't their cup of tea or just what you know. And now they're getting all into the the older episodes and and reliving it and. Um, it's 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 interesting to see, you know, and um, but you know, you know, we're one big happy family now. 
Yeah. Now, can, can Donald I... had mentioned the uh, the episodes on iTunes, and I find that even though they've sort of reorganized, at least in the U.S. iTunes store, the Doctor Who section, where there's now mm-hmm. some semblance of order where you yeah. can actually look by Doctor, uh, it's still kind of uh, a bit uh, difficult to navigate if you want to get all the stories. You can't really just buy all the seasons you kind of have to do it watch per story. carefully because yeah. you'll end up paying so paying for some stories twice if you do it that way because of the way they've grouped some of the uh the episodes and it's by no means yeah. complete I, I, can I also, you know there, there's lot, there's lot of well, that may have to do with rights issues yeah yeah uh, i'm just yeah right yeah, uh, can I also mention to Donald if, if he is, uh, he says he's uh, been listening to the last uh, episodes two eight five to two eight eight. Can I just mention to him that um, if he's got the Podshock on the iTunes feed, there's also a secondary uh, iTunes feed for Podshock Podshock Live. There's um, forty nine episodes on Podshock Live feed, and that goes way back. It's I think the first one is episode seventy three, uh, Podshock. Uh, uh, where we were talking about uh, Smith and Jones reviewed, uh, so that's where Martha Jones comes in uh, into Doctor Who. So uh, with uh, David Tennant. So the, there's quite a few of the ones where we were discussing the actual series as live events. Some of those got ported across to the main Podshock uh, feed, but I think quite a few others are just only available on the uh, the secondary live feed. Yeah, there was. Um, the, the, I, I can't remember the exact circumstance, but there was a a good season, if you will, or a good uh, or like one one series there, which the live reviews were were just live there, and um, and, and but otherwise they um, they, they usually get edited and um, put onto the main feed and um, you know glossed up a bit. You know, in other words, the uh, there were a section of Roar episodes that were, that were just Roar live shows that you can catch on that feed, and and you'll see uh, right. the, the numbers are, are you know you'll you'll know when if there's a gap of episodes from the main feed that are missing those are, are those were live live only ones, right. Graham Sheridan, who's a, a long-time uh, participant here on Doctor Who Podshock, he's um, uh, often will co-host with us, and he's been a long-time contributor. Uh, he's brought back the Germany report. He used to do these little recorded segments, and um, he's as as the name implies, he's located in Germany, so he'll give a um, perspective of what's going on in Germany. And he's unable to join us because of his work schedule, but he did go through the effort of giving a holiday greeting um, a couple episodes ago. And this is uh, his uh, latest Germany report, on, uh, so you can get the ins and outs of what Doctor Who's like in the, state, in the, in the country of Germany. seem to be back. Hmm. German Reports is resurrected. Basically, because there's just too much not to say. Now it's me, Graham Sheridan again, sat out here in the land of beer and bratwurst. Some of you guys might know it. And there's quite a bit of a, I won't say an amazing, but a weird turn up for the books. The fact that 
Well, sci-fi lost its license to show Doctor Who here in Germany. And they were only showing the first and second series. Then, about a year after transmission, series five. Hmm. But they didn't end up on sci-fi. No. This may sound weird, but Fox, yes, that Fox, we know for mucking up things with the TV movie, here in Germany bought the rights to show Doctor Who on the Fox Channel, which is part of the Sky package. It costs about 14 euros extra on top of what you normally have. If you've got cable here in Germany, um, not sure how much extra will be there or if it's part of the package, but um, if you're on the telecom receivers or any other digital uh, receivers that are going over the internet, like I have, then it's an extra 14 euros, well, 15 after tax. And, uh, well, it's part of the Sky basic package. Now, what basically this means is instead of being completely um, <clears throat> about it, they've been rather brilliant. Now this means they've gone back and they also purchased the rights for all the other series so they can show them. But it also did mean in the end that finally series 3 and series 4 got shown here in Germany, in German. And then they went back, showed series five, six, and as of towards the end of last year, series seven, which all tied up nicely because they went into mega show mode and showed every episode from the second part of 7B and culminated the night with the day of the doctor a simulcast, which is sort of blows your mind because we're not used to getting things here at the same time. Now, okay, at the same time, in the cinemas, and quite a fair few of them at the end, it started off with about 12, 13 cinemas. We got The Day of the Doctor in 3D, but none were anywhere near me. At least, it'd take me at least an hour, hour and a half to at least get to any of them. And um, not exactly in places where parking was easy or anything like that. So eventually, yes, Hanover, which is nearest to me, which is an hour, say three quarters an hour away, um, they were going to show it. But <clears throat> one had to work. Yes, who? Never mind. But therefore, it being shown on the Fox channel at the same time means I was able to get it recorded. I don't have Fox Channel myself. No, I came to thought. So, if that's what Day of Doctor, maybe I'll get the Christmas special. Day and date. And with five minutes later than UK's shown time, it was also simulcast. So, I'm kind of hoping this sort of keeps up for the next year and see how that all happens. And it also does mean that the remaining series that went on DVDs, that's three and four, got to a release, even though they're at an absolute astronomical price, 
of uh, 50 euros for um, the set. Uh, when you're looking at the Series 1 uh, being around about 15 euros at the moment and uh, Series 2 at the same price, you have to realise that a standard price is no more than 30 to 35 euros. So, mm, hoping the price will come down there. Though, the surprise was also that the DVD today of the Doctor did get released. It got released on the 20th December, just gone. And as I was shopping a couple of days later, I got the shock of my life. As my local supermarket, which is known for getting everything on time, no it's not. It's actually not known for getting anything on time. I actually had a copy on time. So it's a bit of a fantastic development, at least for fans over here. Now, the plus side to this as well, of course, uh, you guys get things on iTunes, and eventually so did we. And it did include the, the same 50th anniversary package, uh, which means that uh, Adventures in Space and Time is available here in Germany, but unfortunately only through iTunes at the moment, because it's not being shown on any of the German ch uh, channels. Um, I'm wondering if Fox might actually buy the rights to that. Let's wait and see. Um, but otherwise, yes, Day of Doctor, review, I suppose. Brilliant. Can you actually find a fault in it? Um, well, yes, the first time I watched it through, I found it a confusing. Not confusing so much as this one plot seemed to be excess to the other. And what actually did the thing with the Zygons actually bring? Well, on second viewing, in German, and everything being clear on audio, it brought a lot. It meant that it showed the Doctor, all three of them, the way that uh, he could save Gallifrey. Brilliant. Top. Fantastic. So, time of the Doctor. Hmm. Time of the Doctor. Now everybody's complaining about this one. And I mean not in any small fashion. But me? <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. Everybody who's I've heard on podcasts have been slating it. I've had very few positive reviews for those who did positive review it out there. Who actually took the time to sit down, switch off the reviewer's mind and just let it, uh, well, just go over you as if it was uh, a wave you were sat on a beach, a nice beach, warm water, just waving over you. Just let it go over you like that. Probably the best way to actually enjoy Doctor Who at the moment. And you'll probably pick up a lot more than you do if you sat there trying to concentrate the whole time. Because that's exactly how I watched it. Now, the thing was, I watched it in German. And I heard one of the main points being that the 5.1 surround sound mix that most people got tr uh, transmitted... Um, basically muddied up the sound so on first watching you had to watch it a second time and a third time and possibly a fourth time and yes Dave you can understand it the first time round if the sound is nice and clear everything's quite obvious and everything has its its linear line uh, I still have to say though I rather did rather like the idea of a wooden Cyberman. <laughs> yes, well, <clears throat> yes. <sighs> Was that a sort of stab at Pinocchio? I wonder. 
So, as far as I was concerned, points out of five for that. Um, yeah, it's it's four and three quarters. It was almost perfect, even though a lot of you decided it was absolutely bloody awful. It was blooming brilliant. You obviously concentrating too much, and no, but that's only my opinion. Like what you like about it. It seems to be a Mark Might episode, stroke Vegemite episode. It's that you either love it or you hate it. So, that's enough waffling from me. Um, yeah, and you're back to Lewis. And, well, at a rough guess, I would say Dave is definitely there. And whoever has turned up for the recording. Hello! Oh, no. <clears throat> bye bye for now. And thank you, Graham. Thank you, um, Graham. It's good to hear you Cheers. back. Yeah, good to hear back from you. <laughs> good to hear from you once again. Happy New Year as well. I want to thank you both, Taras and um, Dave, for um, for this episode. It's been a grand episode. Uh, I'm thankfully it's not too cold, uh, as even though we're reviewing the Cold War. Uh, Last week in in our area here in in the New York area it was rather cold, but uh, it was kind of mild, kind of foggy today. But um, hopefully, um, it's we don't know what's yet to come. We still have uh, the bulk of winter in front of us. And Dave, I know you are bouncing back from a cold yourself, so I'm hoping you're feeling better. And thank you very much. I am indeed. That's great. Having your own cold war. <laughs> yes, he definitely has. Indeed, that's a, a good. Yeah, Dave's our own ice warrior. So, and you can catch more of Dave along with uh, Ian on the Cultum Collective, which is um, it's which. Speaking of live shows, they record live every Sunday at two p.m. on Talkshoe. You could catch the live show or catch the recorded episodes on um, on iTunes or your favorite um, podcast catcher. Uh, the Talkshoe ID number for Cultum Collective, Dave is. Five four eight two one. Thank you. Thanks again, and we'll come back next time. And I guess we'll be reviewing. Um, was it Hyde? Is the next episode? No, it's yes. Jekyll. It's Jekyll. <laughs> it's Jekyll. <laughs> Very funny. All right. Well, until then, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Bye, all. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan-run GallifreyMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podchock Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit arttrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. What is that, gas? Could be gas. It never rains, but it pours. We were.